But uh, so I'm Jared. Uh, I got to do announcements last week. I'm going to be doing them again. Um, wanted to make a few few uh, uh, comments. Uh, Childcare. Pastor Alicia made a lot of comments this week on Facebook. So if you're uh, if you missed last week, go to Facebook, watch the video. Uh, we're we're opening childcare up now, up to I think four, and there's a registration process and so forth. So there's a lot of good information there. So uh, uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, as far as this week, we have. Pastor Mark gone, so we have a awesome top of the line preacher with us today, Chad Jackson. Calm down, calm down. Your stage time is like off the through the roof this today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm thankful because I love love listening to Chad. So, uh, and other than that, we want to make some mission updates again. Last week uh, I mentioned about the food packs. If you if you weren't here, I wanted to mention that again. We um, the elders had approved, and the mission investment team organized this, but. Roughly between the last six months of the COVID ordeal, uh, we, were ma we managed to redirect resources that we normally do for mission trips, and 2,840 food packs were given to third world contexts of people in dire need. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I, I, again, I want to reiterate this, but um, I kind of tried to do the math. It's very hard to kind of approximate, but each food pack kind of feeds maybe up to a family of four to seven to, to, seven to 14 days. So if you do the math, either you could look at it as you, fed, you help feed 12,000 people for a couple of weeks or one to 2,000 people for two months. And that doesn't even, oh, yes, you have your, this, is, this is awesome. And thank you, Chassie, for organizing that. Um, so wanted to mention that. The other uh, updates on this month's ministry of, uh, that we're supporting and trying to focus on is Seasons of Hope. So Season of Hope is obviously somebody we partner with. Uh, Paige Pate is a director. She's our, uh, she's our own. So if you ever want to get plugged in with, uh, with the local ministry, please talk to Paige. But we wanted to let people know that they're accepting items, laundry detergent, toilet paper, and toothpaste. And we're going to set up a station out there. That's going to run through October. So please help give, uh, uh, get them with those supplies. And one other thing about Seasons of Hope, they are doing the Fall Fun on the Farm fundraiser. This year, the, the pumpkin patch with, uh, with COVID has kind of changed a little bit, but they are opening it October the 8th. Uh, they're going to have pumpkins for sale, decorating kits for the pumpkins, photo ops for families, and so forth. Uh, there's a flyer on Facebook, but I did want to leave a number. If you got a pen, it's 214-244-8111, and they just mentioned if you call that number, you can call and you know set up some things ahead of time, but it's going to be a great, good thing to do with your family and uh, you know go buy some pumpkins and help help seasons of hope. So, other than that, I guess I'm done. That's all I got. I just want to add one thing to the childcare thing. Um, I asked Alicia if you forget to sign up, which I know this is all kind of weird and everything. Uh, you can show up with your kids, and if there's a spot available, then you can drop your kids off. So. Say, you know, you're not used to the registering and everything. If you forget to do that, you can show up with your kids. And depending if there's a spot, we'll take them in. If it's full, then obviously they'll have to come in and sit with you guys during service. But, yeah, that's about the thing with the kids. Um, all right. Um, as far as worship, yeah, you guys know that if you're more than welcome to, to stand and worship with us if you want to. Uh, and for you guys that are at home, you're, you're watching your living room or you're watching on your back porch, um, we encourage you to, to join in, to not just be a spectator, uh, actually sing with us and worship with us. Uh, yeah, let's do it.
from heaven's throne you came to us and set your heart upon the cross we'll never know the sacrifice you made for all our sin and all our shame you took the nails you took our place and no one else could do what you have done one name one name is higher and one name is stronger than any grave than any throne Christ exalted over all. Then from the grave where death would die, you rose again and brought us life. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. Yeah, you're reigning now, the Savior of the world. One name is higher, one name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over. Your name, we lift your name. 
So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in our, in our body like the bodies we sinners have. And in, the, in that body, God declared an end to the sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you. I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Temptation comes my way When I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay So teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my right. 
my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Yeah. 
You guys know what's been going on, and it's so, so good to hear your voices. Uh, we had about, what, three or four months there where there was nobody in the room. So literally, it's us singing and just nobody. Mark was sitting over here by himself. And so just the fact of hearing you guys sing, it's so cool. Uh, something I've missed so much about gathering together is just hearing you guys sing. And I've told you all this uh, a bunch of times, but if you're used to sitting in the back, 
some Sunday, just come sit in one of these front seats, uh, just for nothing else, just to hear the people behind you singing, because it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible when all of us get together, and you know, the room's half full, um, but yeah, we'll, at some point, we'll get back to normal, and we'll have everybody in here, but, but yeah, if you ever get a chance, uh, get up here on the front row, and just kind of just kind of hang out and listen to your brothers and sisters singing uh, how great they are. It's just, it's pretty amazing. So last week, uh, Zach took us through uh, he did a great job of walking us through why it matters that Christ ascended. And then uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark had started a new series um, over the book of Acts. And he actually mentioned in that first week, if you guys remember, uh, he said that we could, what we call the book of Acts, we actually could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because that's really what it is. It's, it's the act of the Holy Spirit doing things through the Apostles all throughout Acts. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit and his role and his power in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Romans 8. Uh, we're going to get there in, a, in just a little bit. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a misconception about someone? Yeah, that's happened before. Like you thought they were a certain way, and then you, you kind of start hanging out with them, and you, and you get to know them, and you're like, I'm not really like what I thought. I mean, I kind of thought this person was, was uptight all the time, and then when I get around them, I get to hang out with them, they're actually not that way at all. Maybe opposite. Maybe you thought somebody was really nice. You got to hang out with you, and we're like, eee, not so nice, right? We carry those misconceptions because we don't know people, right? We don't know them. We don't know what they're going through. We don't, until we start spending time with them, until we start to get to know them, we kind of start figuring out who they are. And I think that's kind of how we think about the Holy Spirit most of the time in our lives. Uh, we kind of have this idea of, of what we think he does or how he interacts with us, uh, but then we actually begin to to study God's Word, we actually begin to, to pray and spend time with Him, and we find out that maybe He's a little bit different than what we thought. Maybe He's a little bit different than this, uh, this spirit that's kind of floating around over the top of you kind of thing. More on that later. So I want to start this morning um, looking at the definition of condemnation, and if you've read chapter 8 of Romans, you guys know how it starts, right? So condemnation, here's the definition. It is the expression a very strong disapproval. Second part, it's the action of condemning someone to a punishment or sentencing. Chapter 8 of Romans is considered by many to be the best chapter of the whole Bible. And if you haven't actually ever sat down and actually read through chapter 8 and studied it, you got to. You've got to take some time. Just read through it. Turn around and read it again. Turn around and read it again. So amazing. And I think maybe uh, if we'll get through today, we're going to go about halfway through chapter 8, and if you will kind of take this a little bit further and study the rest of the chapter, I think maybe, maybe you might uh, kind of agree that this is probably one of the best chapters in all the Bible. This chapter beautifully describes the power or the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. But before we jump into Romans 8 this morning, I want to remind you of a couple things about the Holy Spirit and his role and your salvation, and his role in your life. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, Some of us are Jews, and some of us are Gentiles. Some are slaves, and some are free, but we, all, we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Ephesians 1, 13, 13 through 14 says this, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give you the inheritance he promised 
that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So we all received the Holy Spirit the moment we transferred our faith to God through Jesus, right? We all kind of know that. That's kind of that's a Christianity 101, right? When you said you believe and you placed your faith in the saving power of Christ, the Holy Spirit came into you. So when we read things like we were baptized into one spirit, uh, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, this isn't just Christianese. This isn't something we should just kind of throw around. This is a huge this is a big deal. This is hugely important. And I know that the Holy Spirit can be confusing, right? Uh, maybe you didn't grow up Baptist. Maybe you grew up in another denomination. And everybody has these kind of different views, these different ideas of what the Holy Spirit is or isn't. And hopefully after this morning, uh, I kind of hope and pray that we become a little bit more clear of the Spirit's role in our life. Uh, and that we have a new passion, kind of this excitement uh, for the Holy Spirit. So I grew up... Uh, more charismatic, where there was a big emphasis on the, on the Spirit. And I know a lot of you, most of you grew up Baptist, and you don't really know what to do with this Holy Spirit, right? And so we're cool with God. He's kind of this big figure. We're really, really cool with Jesus because he's like us. But then we get to the Spirit, and we're like, I don't know what to do. I'm not real sure what to do with this. Um, you know, and growing up, it was always the Holy Ghost, which is even weirder as a kid. Um, so, you know, you just have this image of this ghost floating around and, and doing stuff, and it's just like, oh, I don't want any of that. I'm, I'm good. I'll stick, with, I'll stick with the Father and Jesus, and you guys, you grown-ups can deal with the Holy Ghost. But uh, hopefully by the end of this morning, we have a little bit more understanding. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into Romans. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have so much access to it. God, we have it in, the, in our pocket. We carry it around with us every day. I ask, Lord, that by the end of this morning, Lord, that you would just remind us. Um, I'm fairly positive everybody in this room has, has transferred their faith, and maybe there's a few who have it, those listening online. We all have this Holy Spirit. We all have your Spirit living inside of us. And I pray, Lord, by the end of this morning that we would have a little bit more understanding, Lord, that that, that Spirit that we're speaking of this morning would kind of well up inside of us and remind us of who we are, remind us of what we've been given, remind us of what we carry around day after day after day. Lord, we thank you. We ask that you be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name. Okay, so we're going to do Romans 8, 1 through 17. And I, what I want to do is just read it straight through. Just kind of let you hear it all at one setting. And then we're going to go back and kind of unpack it verse by verse like we do. Okay, so Romans 8, 1 through 17 says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And then I started to leave this part out, but it's there, so we got to read it. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. It's like, really? You had to throw that in there? Really? I want to read you the definition of condemnation one more time. It is the expression of very strong disapproval or the action of condemning someone to a punishment. Now, having just read the definition again, let's read verse 1 one more time. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You guys see the difference, right? Y'all see that, right? We belong to Christ because we have been bought and sealed by the Spirit. And if we belong to him, then there is no condemnation. Amen. <laughs> there is no expression of strong disapproval. There is no condemning us to punishment. Honestly, we could just stop right there, right? I mean, that's some pretty good news. We could just go home. I mean, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And this might be, in my opinion, one of the best lines in the whole Bible, especially when you know what condemnation means. We struggle with this, though, right? This is something that we struggle with day in and day out. We know we don't measure up, number one, and everything around us says that when you don't measure up, there's disapproval, right? If you don't measure up at your job, there's disapproval. If you don't measure up in whatever relationship you have, there's disapproval, right? That's how we operate. That's how everything goes. When you mess up, you deserve punishment, right? This says, verse 1, tells us that that's not true. It tells us that's not true. When you mess up, when you blow it, as Christ's kid, there's no condemnation. There's no punishment. There's no severe penalty. There's none of that. So I came across this quote as I was studying. It's from the commentary I use, and it's, it's kind of heady or whatever, but it was kind of cool to think about that Christ is the sphere of safety for all who are identified with him by faith. So what does that mean? It sounds real um, college-y. It sounds real big and smart. Because of our faith, we have, been, we have been declared righteous, and now we stand in his grace. So because of our faith, because of what Christ did on the cross, because the fact that he rose from the dead, we now have this sphere of safety to where there's no condemnation. We have this sphere of safety that is around us, and we stand in his grace. And it's worth repeating that we are declared righteous. We don't get to just walk in and say, hey, I'm righteous right over here. Look at me. I'm righteous. We don't get to do that, right? We are declared righteous 
by the only one who is powerful enough and righteous enough to do that. Only God, only God can declare, look at you and declare you righteous. You don't get to just bust up in the room and say, I'm righteous. That's God's job, and he's done that. Because of Christ, there is no condemnation. I want you to take that home. I want you to wear that. I want you to remember that. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 tells us, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Does that ever get old, hearing that? Because you belong to him. And because you belong to him, the power of the Spirit has freed us. Something I want you to kind of get, I want to stop and really just kind of nail this down, because the tense that's used in the Greek here, it actually suggests a once and for all act of freedom and salvation. So because we belong to him, the life-giving Spirit has freed us once and for all. And I know for most of you, you're Baptist, that's not a big deal, right? Like, yeah, I've been taught that since I was a kid. But you've been declared free once and from all and for all from the power of sin. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. The spirit that you received upon salvation freed you once and for all. And I'm just going to kind of let that sit on you for a second. Because I know that's one of those things that we know. We know that. We hear it. We preach it. We read it. But you look at yourself in the mirror, right? You know you better than anybody else. And you know deep down that you're pretty much blowing it every day, right? Or is that just me? Nobody else is blowing it every day. But yeah, you know when you look in the mirror and you struggle with this, you struggle with the idea that there's no condemnation and that he has freed me once and for all when he brought the Spirit to my life. And that is so big. That is so big. We cannot just gloss over that. We can't just move past that. It's something that has to get down inside of us. Do you feel free? If not, it's not his fault. If you don't feel free, it's not his fault because we just read that you have been freed once and for all. So if you're not free, then whose fault is that? It's not his. It's not his. It's where our eyes are at. It's what we're looking at. It's what we're concentrating on. We have been freed. And what did the Spirit free us from? He freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. It gets better. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 through 4 says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So how did God accomplish this once and for all freedom from sin? It's not a trick question. Jesus, it's the gospel. It's the good news. We stood condemned, right? Because of Adam and Eve, you want to go all the way back, because of our actions, because of who we are, we stood condemned because of our weak, sinful nature. So God did something about it. He sent Jesus to die in our place to satisfy the requirements of the law and to end sin control over us. He did it. And I want you guys to take this in. Take a breath because the news that you've heard your whole life, it's so much better. We call it the good news, and sometimes I wonder if we should call it something bigger than that. Because good news doesn't really seem to satisfy what happened. Uh, it's, it's good news, yes, it's good news, but it's extremely awesome, incredible news to know that we stand in right standing before God because of what has been done in our, 
in our lives. That is extremely, extremely good news. Look at the end of verse 4. We no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Again, from my commentary that I was using to study through this, it says this, The provision of deliverance from the power of sin is through the death of Jesus Christ. So the fact that we have that power, uh, over, the deliverance over sin, is through the death of Jesus Christ, but experiencing it in, one day, in one's daily conduct comes through the controlling power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that to you one more time. The provision of deliverance from the power of sin is through the death of Jesus Christ, but experiencing it in one's daily conduct comes through the controlling power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to follow our sinful nature. Instead, we follow the Spirit. So a couple rhetorical questions. That means you don't have to answer. Why do we have such a hard time with the Holy Spirit? Why do we, why do we not know what to do with him? I mean, after all, he is the most personal, right? God's in heaven. Jesus is now in heaven. We can't talk to Jesus. We can't walk up to him and touch him. But the word says we have the Spirit living in us. So he's the most personal of all of the the Godhead, right? So why do, we, why do we struggle with this so much? Again, rhetorical question. Why is he so often treated as kind of the redheaded stepchild? And if you're redheaded, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know where that came from, but redheaded stepchild. Why is he always treated as that, that part of the Godhead that we just, we kind of don't know what to do with him again? Just kind of there. And we just read that we have been freed from the power of sin that leads to death and that we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Do you ever get up in the morning and just tell the Holy Spirit that today I want to follow your lead? Does anybody do that? You don't have to raise your hand. But it, again, it kind of goes back to that, like, I'm going to pray to the Father. I'm going to ask Jesus to do these things. But how many times do we get up in the morning and we say, I have this Spirit living inside of me that is incredible, and I would like for you to lead me today. Would you do that? That's something that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get used to doing that more and more every morning of getting up and say, God, I have a plan. I have things that I need to do. I have to go to a job. I have to work. I have to do this. We have to be over here at 4.30. We have to be over here at 6. But will you lead me as I walk through this day? Holy Spirit, will you lead me? And if you haven't started doing that, I would highly encourage you to start doing that. Just ask him. Wake up in the morning as you're reading your Bible, whatever you do in the morning, as you have your coffee, whatever happens between you getting up and going to work or as you're driving in your car to work. Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Holy Spirit, I have an agenda today. I have things that need to get done. I can't just walk around asking who you want me to pray for. I, there's things I have to do. But will you lead me through those things? Will you, will you lead me in your spirit that is inside of me? would highly recommend, encourage you to start doing that. We're going to move on to verse 5 through 9. And in these next few verses, Paul actually uh, kind of contrasts what it looks like to live under the control of the sinful nature uh, versus living under the Spirit's control. So we're going to read those four verses together, starting in verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. Makes sense. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, it leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, believer, child of God, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit living in you. 
And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So following or being controlled by the central na- sinful nature leads to what? Yep, it's right there. Following the sinful nature leads to death. Following or being controlled by the Spirit leads to what? Life and peace. You follow your sinful nature, you lead to death. You follow the Spirit, life and peace. It's kind of a no-brainer, right? What are we going to do here? Are we going to follow the one that leads to death, or are we going to follow the one that leads to life and peace? Kind of a no-brainer. Is your life filled with chaos? Is your life filled with death, defeat? There's probably a good chance that you're being led by your sinful nature, that we are being led by our sinful nature, because we just read that letting the Spirit controls us leads to life and peace. At least to life and peace. It doesn't lead to chaos and death. Again, it's kind of a, a no-brainer, right? Just a side note, kind of a nerdy thing that I saw here. Um, I thought was kind of cool as I'm reading through the scriptures is uh, in verse 9, we see Paul referring to the Spirit of Christ. We see Paul referring to uh, the Spirit of God. And then he says that Christ lives in, in you. And I just kind of saw a reference there to the Trinity that is kind of cool as you're reading through the scripture that it's all, it's all in there. It's all in there. But yeah, he's referring to Jesus living in you, God living in you, the Spirit. This whole Godhead is right there at work in our lives. Verse 10, Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Again, it's almost like they're all kind of working together, right? Paul gets really personal in verse 10 because he talks about how our bodies, because of its sinful nature, is dead, or you could say is dying. But because we have been declared righteous and now have the Spirit living within us, we have eternal life. And that's something that we have to talk about, that, that this is why, one of the reasons why we meet together on a weekly basis. This is why we try to get together throughout the week, is because we forget. We forget, right? We forget, I mean, we know, we know that Christ died, and we know that he rose from the dead, and we know that the Spirit lives within us. And we walk out of here on Sunday, and we're energized, we're ready to go. Monday we get up, we're still probably pretty good. By the time Wednesday or Thursday hits, we're full on sinful nature, forget about it. We're just going. And then we get back together on Sunday. We're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember now. I remember, I remember what's been done. And again, hyperbole a little bit, but not that you have it that bad, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you start walking through your days and you kind of forget. You get all caught up in everything that's going on and we forget who we are. We forget what has been done for us. Let's move on to verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. I'm going to say that again. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And again, I know that's something that we know. We've been taught this since we were kids. But how often do we let our minds kind of go there? How often do we let our minds think about that? Something I want you to think about just for a second. Christ wasn't just raised from the dead. We know he was raised from the dead. He wasn't just raised from the dead. He was raised to a new life. We know throughout Scripture that there are other people who were raised from the dead, right? Who's the most famous one? Who's the most famous person that was raised from the dead? 
Lazarus. And Mark makes this point all the time that poor Lazarus is probably the most to be pitied guy in all of Scripture because he had to die twice. Poor dude. There's that, that kind of reference after he raises Lazarus from the dead and they're having the party and everybody's kind of celebrating and it just has this Lazarus is eating. He's just eating. And you kind of wonder, like, is he just kind of going through, like, gotta be kidding me. These people are so excited, but this is not what I wanted to do. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to face death again. I don't want to have to go through all this again. Jesus was raised to new life, to never die again. That, to me, is just, it's crazy. When you think about the power that raised Jesus to life to never die again, you could say that it's one thing to have the power to raise someone from the dead. That's the kind of power that none of us would even imagine having. To walk into a room, yell into a tomb, come out, and somebody raises from the dead. That's crazy power, right? That's stuff that we can't even imagine wrapping our head around. But what about the power that didn't just raise Jesus from the dead? It raised him, it raised him to never die again. What kind of power is that? That's even better. It's more powerful. The fact that you could raise them from the dead and then 10 years later they die again. Jesus is still alive. He's still alive 2,000-something years later. What about that power? What about that power? The power that spoke things into, into existence lives in you. So what are the implications? What could you say? How does that, how should that kind of direct our life? Knowing that this spirit that raised Christ from the dead to never die again, which I want to keep repeating that because that's so important. We don't really think about that. The fact that he's still alive. <laughs> he didn't just die again. That power that rose him from the dead. The fact that that spirit, that power lives in you. What are the implications of that? What does that look like? What does that mean? Just kind of let you take that home with you and just kind of wrestle with that a little bit. What does it mean to have that kind of power living inside of me that not just raised Jesus from the dead, actually raised him from the dead to never die again? What does that mean in our lives? How do we, how do we walk with that? How do we deal with that? How do, we, how do we handle that? What do we do with that? I mean, do we just walk around raising people from the dead? I mean, what do we, what do we do? What do we do with that? That's something I want you to take home and just kind of wrestle with that over this next week of this power that you have in your life that raised Jesus from the dead to never die again, it's there. It's, it's inside of you. It's right there. And we sell this Christian life so short. We really do. We live defeated lives uh, that do not in any way, most of the time, resemble someone with this kind of power in their life. Right? We don't walk around with this idea that we have this life-giving power that raises people from the dead. We don't walk around with that day in and day out. We don't go to work with this idea of like, I have this power inside of me that rose Jesus from the dead to never die again. We don't walk around with that, right? We don't take that day in and day out. We sell this Christian life so short because we walk around as people who don't even resemble having this kind of power in our lives. We have been given some promises that are absolutely crazy. We've been given his spirit with this power beyond our comprehension by God who does some pretty crazy stuff. 
what kind of power is it that says there's absolutely nothing and I just speak and things start coming to existence? What kind of power is that? What kind of power do you have, authority do you have to just say, make a world and it just happens? Trees. Let's have trees. Let's have some fish. What kind of power is that? What kind of power is that that we have living inside of us? Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. This is so crazy. This is so crazy to actually stop and think about. To actually let your mind go to this place of, what does it mean? I mean, I know it. I mean, I know that I have the Holy Spirit living in me. But what does that mean? What does it mean to walk around with this much power in my life? What does that mean for you at work? What does that mean for you as you interact with your family and your children and friends to know that you have that power in your life? Verse 12 says, therefore, that basically you could say because of this, because uh, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus is now living within us, because of that, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So again, I'm big on definitions. I kind of like to know what I'm what I'm reading. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, here's the definition of obligation. It is an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound. It is a duty or commitment. And in our best East Texas way, we would say, that ain't us. Right? <laughs> that ain't us. We are not obliged. We have no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. Absolutely no obligation you have no obligation to do what it urges you to do because you can be led by the Spirit. We can be led by the Spirit. We don't have to be led by our sinful nature, our desires, our things that pull us. Verse 13 tells us, For if you live by its dictates, which is just sinful nature, if you live by the dictates of the sinful nature, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. Always has been, always will be. See Romans 6.23 for that. And you guys know the, the world that we live in, the things that we're all heading towards that deathbed, right? We're all one step closer to that. That's just kind of the nature of what we do. We go through and we know that at the end, this happens. So this verse isn't talking about physical death because we know we know that we're all going to eventually die. That's no secret. We all know that. This isn't telling you that you will never die physically, but what it is telling you is that we won't enjoy our spiritual, our spiritual journey. Uh, we won't be able to enjoy the fact that the Spirit of God is living within us and we'll walk around as dead people. We're going to walk around as dead people. We will look like someone who hasn't been born again. Put to death here has the present tense of putting to death. It's kind of this present, in-the-moment thing. We're putting to death. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. It's ongoing, right? It's a wake up in the morning and remind myself of who I am. It's a wake up in the morning and remind myself of who's living inside of me. That we are putting to death constantly. We are putting to death throughout the day the death, the deeds of our sinful nature. It's ongoing, a daily process, a daily decision. 
And it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit we are able to put the deeds of our sinful nature to death. Something that I've noticed kind of in my Christian life is the more I focus on my sin, the harder it is not to sin. Has anybody noticed that? That if I have this glaring sin in my face, this thing that I struggle with, the more I focus on not doing it, the harder it becomes to not do it, right? Whatever that is for you, fill in the blank. I don't know what that is for you. But the more I focus on Jesus, the more I focus on what's been done for me, the more I focus and, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead me, the easier it is to not do that. I'm not saying that you're never going to. You probably will some. But it's not your focus. It's not what your world revolves around. You're not spending all day trying not to do that sin. Does that make sense? That the more you focus on God, the more you focus on Jesus, the fact that you have been declared righteous, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living within you, the less that sin, whatever that thing is that you struggle with, the less it kind of rears its head, so to speak. And so that's something that's amazing, too, of just like everything inside of us says self-help. Let's, let's do these three things to get past it. If we'll do this, if we'll do this, if we'll do this, then I won't struggle with that sin. I won't struggle with that thing. It's actually kind of the opposite. The more you do those things, the more it's in your face, the more you struggle with it every day, but the more you concentrate on Jesus, the more, Larry Brevard's words, you focus your eyes on the back of the rabbi, the easier it becomes, the less it's in your face, the less it kind of dominates your day. We are able to put to death the sinful nature. We're able to put to death those deeds because, again, we have this spirit and it is only through the Holy Spirit that we are able to do this. It's only through the Spirit's leading, through the Spirit's power. Verse 14 tells us, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Again, this kind of has a present tense of being led. Again, it's ongoing. We're putting to death. We're being led. We get up in the morning. It's this constant kind of thing. In verse 13, we see that the power of the Spirit we're putting to death. And here in verse 14, we are being led. We're following the Spirit's lead. It's referring to us being dying, being buried with Christ, and then born again as his children with the Spirit inside of us, being led by his Spirit throughout the day. 15 tells us, so you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Sin leads to death, right? We've kind of established that this morning. Death is associated with fear most of the time because we don't, nobody's died before. We don't know what this looks like. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't like the idea of not being here. Death is associated with fear. So in contrast, Paul tells us that our spirit that we received is not a spirit of fear. So what is it? What is this spirit? It affirms that we have actually been adopted by God. The spirit that is in, inside of us actually affirms to us that we have been adopted by God. We are not fearful slaves. We are not awaiting our destiny. We're not just walking around saying, well, death is coming. Here it comes any day now. We're just waiting on that. That's not who we are. And the Spirit affirms this truth in each and every one of us. Most of you know, uh, if you don't know, most of you know that me and Cece are adopted. Our two little girls are adopted. They don't come to me as a slave. They don't run up to me and call me master. <laughs> That's not, what, that's not what this relationship looks like. Trust me, if you come to our house, 
their stuff is everywhere. It's their house and we get to live there. They don't come. They don't think they're slaves. They don't think that they're just kind of hoping that we'll do this or that we'll do that. They're our kids. They're our kids. They come to me and they say, Dad, can I have this? Dad, can we do that? Dad, this, dad, that. It's not, hey, master, would you look over here? Would you look my way for a second? And could we maybe, that's not how it works. That's not how this works. And you, right where you sit this morning, you have been adopted by God. And somehow in the middle of all the craziness of kind of letting your mind go to how great God is, the fact that he looks at you and says, I not only want to adopt you, but it kind of makes me happy. Is that weird to anybody else? Is that weird to anybody that the God and all of his glory and all that he is and all that we're not would look at you and say, I not only want to adopt you and save you, I'm kind of glad. I kind of like it. It's kind of my plan. I kind of dig it. I want to adopt you and bring you into my family. And that to me just really blows my mind. <laughs> really blows my mind that God would look at Chad right now and say, I'm not just going to save you so you don't have to go to hell. You're going to be my kid. And he gets great pleasure out of that. That ought to just blow your mind. <laughs> that ought to just blow your mind that the God of the universe looks at you and says, that's my kid, and that kid brings me great pleasure. Again, it's crazy awesome good news. This good news that we sell short, this good news that we don't think about, it is so amazing. It is so amazing, guys. So, so amazing. Finally, we're going to round third base, head home. Verse 17, we're just going to read the first half here. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So I want you to do me a favor. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes for a second. And in your own imagination, in your own mind, I want you to kind of wonder to the greatness of God. What does that look like in your head? What's the picture you see when you think about the absolute greatness of God? A God who just speaks and things happen. A God that is light in and of itself. Think about that. What does that look like? A God who creates out of nothing. A God who simply speaks and all we know and see comes into an existence. A God who makes galaxies for his own pleasure. Now what kind of inheritance do you think his kids get? I mean, you just sat there and you thought about the greatness of this God. You just thought about whatever that picture looks like in your mind, whatever you went to, the greatness, the power, the authority, whatever it is that you went to, what kind of inheritance would his kid get? What do you think? What kind of inheritance are you going to get as his kid? Mark says this all the time, and it's so true. But this is as bad as it gets for us. This is as bad as it will ever get for us. And no matter what happens here on for the rest of your life, it will not compare to the inheritance from that God that you just imagined, that God that you kind of let your mind wander to. 
it's not going to compare. Whether tomorrow we're diagnosed with cancer, uh, we lose a loved one in a wreck, whatever we, whatever we face for the rest of our lives, it is not going to compare to the inheritance of that God, of that God that has that power and that authority and has promised to give you an inheritance as his kid. It will not compare. It is not going to compare. I said this as we were reading this that I wanted to leave this part out, but that's kind of the bad part of going verse by verse. You can't really leave parts out. Um, that last part of 17. If we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Again, this is a fight. We talked about how as every morning you get up and it's ongoing. It's a battle. No one wants to suffer, right? I don't know anybody that gets up in the morning and is like, come on, give me some suffering today. I need me some suffering. It's been a little bit too good here lately. When's the suffering start? I don't know anybody that does that. If, you, if you're doing that, then it's kind of weird. But I don't know anybody that wakes up and says, man, I need me some suffering in my life. That's what I want. We don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer, right? And when you, I, when you think about suffering, for me anyway, I think probably what my mind goes to is being in prison, being beaten, all those kind of things. I'm suffering for Christ. And I don't know that that's necessarily what Paul is talking about because we see Paul in his letters and Acts later on talking about how he's suffering through like everyday kind of stuff. He had a shipwreck. That's suffering. He had uh, to go over here and, and deal with this. That's suffering. He has sickness. That's suffering. So it's not always, even though we know that that is part of it, it can be part of it. And we actually, we do see that throughout Scripture. And we know that through just looking at the news and seeing our brothers and sisters across the world, that that is, it can be part of suffering. But for us here in America, for us here in Lufkin, Texas, suffering could look like the fact that our spirits that live inside of us long to be with God. They long to be with Him, but our bodies pull us towards sin. So on one hand, we have a spirit that wants to be with God, that longs to be with God, but then we have this sinful nature that pulls us towards sin. That's suffering. That's suffering daily. We suffer with the act of putting our own desires aside and instead following the Spirit's lead. It would be very easy to get up and just do whatever you want to do every day, right? But we suffer through the fact that as his kid, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow my sinful nature to lead me. I'm going to follow the Spirit. We suffer through dealing with this world and all that can and does go wrong and knowing that there's absolutely something better awaiting us. That's a suffer. That's suffering, getting up daily and knowing that this is as bad as it gets and, and one day we're going to have an inheritance that we can't even imagine. But we suffer through the day in and day out of not being there yet. Not today. Not today. That's suffering. And we read earlier about how it's an ongoing fight to follow the Spirit. And right now we can rest in the good news that our sin problem has been taken care of. We don't have to worry about that. We have been freed once and for all from sin. We read that earlier. We can rest in that. But everything after that is a fight. It's a fight. It's a daily grind. It's a daily get up. Set my mind. This is what we're going to do. And we suffer through those days. Every day is a battle of your trust. Every day is a battle of your surrender. Every day is a battle for your obedience and what are you going to do with it? And because of the power of the Spirit that lives in us, we can endure suffering now, and we know that we will endure suffering 
in the future, whatever that looks like, we know that we'll have it. Because we have been sealed by this spirit that we have spent the whole morning talking about, we know we have been guaranteed that our inheritance is going to outweigh, right? We know that the God who just snaps his finger, says words, and things start being created, we know that our inheritance is better than that. So as we get up and we suffer through the days and we suffer through, man, I just, can we just be done with this? Can we just be done with stupid COVID? Enough already. Can I just not have to do that? Can we just, whatever. As we suffer through those days, we know that there's better coming. We have a spirit living inside of us that says, let's go. Just follow my lead. Follow my lead. Father God, we thank you so much that we have, that you didn't just take care of our sin problem. You didn't just take care of it, ascend to heaven, and kind of wipe your hands and say, good luck, guys. See you in a couple thousand years. That you sent your spirit, and you said, Lord, that it was better for you to go away so that we could have the spirit. And so we thank you. We thank you that you, part of your plan entailed us being filled with your spirit, having your spirit live inside of us. And and I just ask, Lord, as we, as we leave this building this morning, as we log off of our computers and go through the rest of our day and into next week, God, that you would remind us, this very spirit that we have spent this morning talking about that lives inside each and every one of us would just remind us, would almost be like a force that we can't ignore, remind us of just who we are, remind us that we aren't just slaves, that we are your kids, we've been adopted, you've taken care of it all, and that one day, one day we will get to stand in your presence and take it all in. And take it all in and say, man, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Every ounce of struggling and suffering that I thought was unbearable, it was worth it. And by your Spirit, Lord, we know that we can walk through it. We know that we can be led through it, that you're not, again, just saying good luck, that you're actually there with us, leading us, and guiding us. And we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys are going to Bible study, that should start in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, If you're not, hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll see you guys next Sunday.